Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right. So tonight's study is going to be called You Must Be As a Child. You Must Be As a Child. And what inspired me to do this particular study? I mean, I read God's word and, you know, I've read over many scriptures where the Bible talks about being as children. But, you know, two weeks ago or a week and a half, my niece really inspired me because, you know, my sister was telling me stories about the things that she was doing. And I don't know. I didn't send that to you, I don't think. But my niece um, was actually hanging out with her teacher one day. And her teacher mentioned that she was a Christian. And my niece was like, uh, do you believe in Judgment Day? And the teacher was like, yeah, but it's just way too scary to think about that. And my niece was telling her, you know, you know, there's nothing to be afraid of, you know, like that's what we got to go through. So the teacher told her, don't focus on that. Just focus on the goodness and everything of God. And my niece was like, no, my peace and my, um, my joy is in Jesus Christ. And she said that I just, you know, I do focus on that because I want to be right with the Lord. Now, some people would say, would you drive a child to think that way or to do that? Let them enjoy their childhood. But the Bible tells us, examine yourselves, see if you be in the faith. So what my niece was saying was absolutely biblical, where it talks about being sober and being vigilant. It means to be serious, be alert, not be drunken with the pleasures and the affairs of this life. And that's why when we listen to videos and people talk about hell, it's funny how you get this sobering up and you begin to think about the things that are important. And that just shows you how drunk we can be just being in this life, just philandering and doing whatever we want to do. You know, it's just so funny how um, we can hear about things like that. And then all of a sudden, it's like the spirit locks your mind in and you're like, Man, I wonder if I'm right with the Lord. That's how God is to be, that we don't forget. The teacher told her, and he said, that's how the enemy will get you and being afraid. You know, she said, we're not in a fairy tale land. You know, we've got to live. But you see, the teacher became like really afraid and not wanting to mature and grow up in Christ. And my niece who had no fear whatsoever, said this in front of the class, told her teacher this, and all these things came out. And the teacher, after a while, my niece said, stop talking. And my sister said, like she thought, this child isn't normal. Like, what's wrong with her? But you see, that just shows us how far we are from young people preaching the gospel. Jeremiah was young when he was used. I mean, you know, you get used. If I've seen people in church have the spirit just fall on them, and then all of a sudden, man, that young person is leading the choir. That young person is ministering and doing things. And where have we come to the place where we feel that's not okay, that the child should be in a child's place until they get, you know, right with God and everything else? Hey, if, if we don't allow God to use the children, then the devil will, okay? Because the devil doesn't wait. 
if the devil can attack you in your infancy, even, even when you're still in the womb, then you should dedicate every child to God and let God use them and work through them. But the point that inspired me to do this was, why, would my, why was my niece so not afraid? Yeah, she listens to these studies with her mom and everything like that and everything. But what we got to understand about kids is they have no filter. Okay. Every time my sister turns on one of these, my niece is right there listening. But kids don't have a filter. Kids hear, they believe, and they report or they proclaim. That's what the gospel is supposed to do. That's how we are supposed to be concerning the Lord. But you see what compromises us as we talked about that spirit last week is I got work. I, I, I want to be liked. I want to be respected. I want to have friends. I don't want to see be seen as the oddball. I don't want to be seen as crazy. And when you deal like that, you will you will serve men and not God. That's why the Bible talks about us having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. He also talks about how, uh, um, uh, what's the other thing I just said? Kids don't have any allegiance to anything other than what they hear and they believe to be true. That's why the devil put the globe in your classroom as a kid. That's why they're teaching little kids about Billy having two moms and Sally two dads, because the devil knows that the first things learned are some of the hardest things to forget. You start to believe, uh, you start to have a belief system that goes around whatever type of you know, things you're being taught. And the devil knows if he can shape you young, that's what he will do. So when we find little children like Melissa's son, Easton, and my niece and all these other kids that want to preach the gospel, man, we got to fuel that fire and give it to them because my niece inspired me to ask myself, why am I not as bold as that? Yeah, I may preach the gospel where I am, but why is it that this child can just come forward and not even think about what she's saying, only what she knows? And you're going to find in the Bible, that's exactly how the apostles were. That's exactly how the disciples were. That's exactly how all those who follow Christ were, okay? Because Paul says, I, need, I seem not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That was all he knew. When he was born again, living his second experience, all he knew was Christ. All that education, all that other stuff he had, he counted that as dumb that he may win Christ. And you see, that's why, you know, he just, you know, the Lord led me to this particular teaching. We must be as children. We've got to be. We've got to see our father as bigger than anything in this world. Our Lord and Savior has got to be bigger than anything. And I began to think about, even with my father, man, growing up, like I said, I thought my dad was the baddest man on the planet. I thought my dad was everything. Dad will take care of it. When dad is here, the security I feel when, I, when I'm with him. Well, we got a father greater than the biological one that we were raised with. But you see what the devil did to Adam and Eve? He helped them grow up faster than they were supposed to. The devil told them, you don't need God. You don't need your parents. Okay, you can be a God yourself and walk out and proclaim what you want. And you see, that was enticing to them. That's why you find often little kids will get in grown folks' conversation and start talking to the place where you got to regulate them, stay in a child's place. This doesn't concern you. 
go in the room and do whatever. But you see, it's intoxicating to a kid to get caught up in things and want to be a part of it. But when it comes to Jesus Christ, we anything. Because a lot of people, you know, when we get sick and we got cancer and we got, all of a sudden our sickness becomes bigger than God. It's but not bigger than God. Sickness be bigger than God. You think you're going to shock God with your, with your shortcomings? He knew you were going to do them. So we need to take everything to him in prayer and be leaving him with everything that he says so that way we can obey God and really follow him. We will never follow God unless we believe that he is bigger than anything that we're going to face, anything that is out there in the world, or anything that opposes him. If we don't see how big our God and Father is, you know, then we are definitely going to fall away at some point. You're only going to do what you have faith in. You're only going to believe that which you believe to be true. But if something can convince you otherwise, then you will not serve God as, as he's commanded to. How we worried about losing our jobs? Man, our Lord owns the earth. So what are we possibly thinking about losing? We don't, see, when we have, a, we have fear to lose our jobs for standing for the gospel, it's only because we don't believe that God can establish us and give us something else. We believe that if we don't do certain things, God can't provide. But hopefully tonight and what we're going to talk about concerning you must be as a child is that we can get back that childlike faith in believing Jesus Christ and doing what he says. So let's pray real quick and we'll get right into this lesson. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, we thank you, Lord, for another day. We thank you for another day not promised to us. And we just ask, Lord, that you forgive us of our sins and our iniquities and our shortcomings and our transgressions and those things that place a veil between you and us. Lord, I'm grateful for this time that I have with my brother and sisters, Lord, that you've given us yet another day to be partakers of your word that we may be edified by your spirit, Lord, and that your spirit may be here with us. We pray for your spirit of teaching, Lord, to comfort us, to school us. And we also um, pray, Lord, that no man's heart be heard and that no flesh be glorified. But Lord, we thank you for the revelation and the understanding of your word, that we may have the boldness and the childlike faith to proclaim the gospel and believe in you. And I also pray, Lord, because there's a spirit of division in here right now. I pray in the name of Jesus that you bind at this very moment. And I pray, Lord, that we become on one accord. And I pray, Lord, that any foul spirit, any demonic spirit, any spirit that goes against you, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that you bind it and that you cast it out and that you kick it to the ground. And I pray that no distractions occur, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you open the eyes of those who can't see and the ears of those who can't hear and the hearts who can't understand, that they may lean not on their understanding, but on your words and your spirit, that they may do things that are pleasing in your eyes. I pray for those who couldn't be here today, Lord. I pray that you watch over them. I pray that you guide them and keep them. But I pray, Lord, that they're about your business wherever they are. For you are the King of Kings and you are the Lord of Lords. You are faithful, just and true and worthy of all praises. We pray and we ask that all these things be done for your glory and honor in Jesus' mighty, holy 
and precious name we pray. Amen. All right. So, you know, tonight, that's what we're going to be talking about is we must have the faith of a child. We must be as children. I want to get started in Psalm 19 because I don't want to waste another minute. Let's dive heavy into the word right now. But, you know, it's amazing how those who follow God totally believed everything that God wanted them to do. And like I said, they were as children. You know, one of those examples is David, a man after God's own heart. Yes, he was a warrior. But, you know, the amazing thing about David was when everyone was looking at the size of that Philistine that they couldn't deal with, David made it very clear. You're talking about my God. You know, you're talking about him and we're going to have to deal with this matter because this is very personal to me. I'm not going to let you blaspheme my God. I don't care if you're 13 feet tall. I don't care if you're 73 feet tall. We've got a problem. But one thing David knew was he came in the name and the power of the Lord. And God got the victory that day because his faith was in the Lord. All right. So this is Psalm 19. Let's look at verse one. Throat's dry tonight, too. Holidays. Holidays. Mm-hmm. Holidays. 10. He's 10 and then school and proclaiming the gospel. I tell you, what we got is a disgrace before God, considering how we are as a church trying to, you know, let's see, maybe, hey amen, we either believe the Lord or we don't. But see, I'm not saying that my niece doesn't have a lot to learn. She totally does. But the thing is, is she heard it, she believed it to be true, and she proclaimed it. That's how we got to be. We get all these complications in the middle. I don't know if it'll be right. Hey, man, you know, how can you be wrong quoting God? That's my question. You know, but anyway, this is Psalm 19. Let's look at verse one. He says, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shew with his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech and night unto night shew with knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard, their line is gone out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. But in them hath he set a tabernacle for the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming one out of his chamber and rejoiceth as a strong man to run a race. So he's talking about the circle of the sun, how things have their circuit. Then he says in verse six, His going forth is from the ends of heaven and his circuit unto the ends of it. And there is nothing hid from the heat thereof. You know, it's not just kids that you and I can learn from. It's also animals we can learn from as well. Animals will do what their nature tells them to do. That's the other thing. You know, birds will automatically, some of them fly south when it gets cold because that's just the way that it is. You know, there are some animals that will live in the sea and then come on land just to breathe. There are salmon that will swim upstream just to lay eggs and do whatever and die. But you see, everything goes according to the law of the Lord. But as Christians who are of the spirit of God, what is our calling? What are we supposed to do? That's what we've got to find out because everything goes within the law of the Lord. Verse seven says, and the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, 
rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. So one thing David knows is that everything, and I mean everything that comes from the Lord is absolutely perfect. The way that God created the earth, the way that God redeemed souls, everything that God does, David here is speaking that God is everything. There is nothing wrong with God. Verse nine, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More, more to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. So you see, God's word says a lot of things that are beautiful things. Some things may be a little bit frightening or things that we take serious. But you see, it's not a question of what God's word says. The question is, is whether or not we believe what God's word says. God's word is gonna always be here and it's gonna always be carved in granite what God said and what he wanted. But the question is, do we believe these words that David is speaking? Do you believe that the law of God is perfect? Do you believe that God is righteous? Do you believe he's all powerful, all knowing and that he's everywhere? Because if we believe these things, there are ways we're going to conduct our lives concerning God. Now, this takes time to have that revelation to draw closer to God. The more we know him, the more he reveals to us, the more real he becomes to us. But it first begins in whether or not we believe God. Why do you think when you and I were unsaved, we couldn't read the Bible? Why was it so boring? Why couldn't we get into it? because we didn't believe in it. So what was the point in reading it in the first place? But when we began to believe God and someone introduced us to Jesus Christ, then all of a sudden God's word became special. Then, then you can now understand where it used to make your head hurt and you were ready to go to sleep within two lines of reading it. But you see, this is all about the nature of those who follow God. You know, look at verse, uh, when it says in 10, more to be desired, or you know, it's more to be desired than gold or fine gold, and sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. David totally believed this, but let's just say, you know, we should believe this too. And, and that's what it is when you understand that a relationship with God is above all things, and there's nothing that even comes close, there's nothing more to be desired, there is nothing more important than having a relationship with your Father and your Lord and Savior. When you can get to that place, you're in good standing with God. You know why? He's going to be more real to you than anything here. The here and now is what gets in the way of our relationship with our Father. It messes with our faith. It makes us wonder, Lord, are there things bigger than you? Are there things more powerful than you? If I do this, will you help me? You see, you can't have that kind of doubt in knowing your father. But see, God takes you through trials just to show you and I that he will always be there. It's whether or not we believe it. And that's why we've got to be careful how our hearts engage this world. The Bible even tells you, guard your heart with all diligence because out of it flows the issues of life. Take, for example, a man that loves his wife that eventually um, gets to the point where she's boring him. Everything she says, everything she does is just, I don't even want to hear that. Now, he goes and hangs out with a friend or a girlfriend or some woman he's got on the side that he met. And he starts to draw closer to her and he starts to confide in her. 
and, you know, might even sleep with her, commit adultery and do all these other things. Do you think, even though that's being done in the dark, that his relationship with his wife is going to be the same? Do you think even though he's lying and sneaking and doing whatever he can, get taking a shower before he even comes home, do you not think his wife would not have a feeling that something is wrong? Jesus says you can't serve two masters. You're going to love one and hate the other one. You're going to hold to the one and despise the other one. You cannot serve both. So we got to understand where our heart is concerning God that we can draw closer to the Lord because when something starts to get in the way of your relationship with God, your faith in God won't be the same. And it's not because you don't like God, it's because you got more faith in something else. You see, if we have 80% faith in what God can do for us and we go out and give the world 10%, you're not gonna keep that 80% that's with God. It's gonna now dip down to 70, you see? And then eventually it gets to the point where maybe, maybe not, 50-50. Then after a while, you don't want to believe him at all because of what you're dealing with. But God has got to be bigger to us than anything. It's amazing how we can get on the phone and talk for hours. You know, we can get in the TV for hours. We can listen to music for hours. But when it comes to being on our knees before the Lord, you see how blank your conversation is? And that's because there's something in this world that you got more with than you got with God. Because technically, God is supposed to be bigger and more real than them, right? So why do you talk to him more than you talk to him? You see what I'm saying? There's something there that's in the way that's keeping us from believing that God is real. He starts to become like, you know, the Easter Bunny or the Tooth Fairy, or I know this is what I'm supposed to do, but I don't know if anybody's listening. We've got to get past that and know that God is real in all situations and everything he does, he's watching. I mean, in everything that we do. But when we get to that place of believing and trusting God and knowing that he is real, that means even if you're married, before you consult your husband or your wife, let me check in with the Lord and see what he wants to do today. And then I can tell my husband about it or my wife and see what they think. God's got to be that real. Because if we're going to be a part of his inheritance, we've got to know God. This is what it's talking about in knowing God. Jesus said, you know, many will come on that day. Lord, Lord. And he said, away from me, ye that work iniquity. I don't know you. But that's what he's talking about. You seem to talk to other people a lot more than you talk to me. So how am I your God? That's something that we, we all strive for and we get stronger with. Believe me. I don't act like I got this thing figured out, okay? Shortly after you guys leave, the devil's gonna try and fight me to keep me off my knees. This is a constant battle that we have in this life, but the Bible says, when you draw nigh to God, he will draw nigh to you. So you see, you're not trying to figure him out by yourself. You're making the first step in recognizing your need for him and you're drawing closer. And when you draw closer, he'll draw closer. Every decision you make for the favor of God, God will reinforce with his spirit and empower you and give you more faith to do it. But this is a true relationship between father and son, our Lord and Savior and his bride. This is what we've got to focus on. And unless we see this, man, we will never be the children of the highest. Did you see, did you notice in Matthew 5 and Luke 6, the Sermon on the Mount? 
all that you would have to endure. You notice how he said, man, if a guy wants your coat, give him your cloak also. If a guy hits you, man, turn and give him the other cheek. So why? So that you and I would be children of the highest. It takes a lot to walk with God, but it begins in a, in a change in nature. We don't, we, God wants to get us to the point that he is no longer foreign because the person who can live out the Sermon on the Mount is that individual that knows my God is more real than this leather coat. My God is more real than me defending myself and fighting back. He's watching what I'm doing. And that's the relationship we ought to have with God, drawing nigh to him, he and us, talking to him like you would anybody else. Man, those are the only people that are going to manifest Christ. Look at verse 11. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. Who can understand his errors? Because God has none. Cleanse thou me from secret faults. Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then shall I be upright, and I shall be innocent from the great transgression. transgression. But you notice he says, keep me from presumptuous sins. You see, it's those presumptuous sins that lead you and I away from God. It begins in our thoughts. It begins in just the very nature, our cravings. We've got to monitor these things to be with God so that we can stay with God. Verse 14, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in the sight. Oh, Lord, my strength and my redeemer. So you see what he said? Look at 14 again. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of thou be acceptable in thy sight. Oh, Lord, my strength and my redeemer. He recognizes without God, he's absolutely nothing. But he wants to glorify God with his vessel. Why he said, man, watch my mouth and my heart. You know, and that's why Jesus says many things we will say. You know, many profess me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. These are the type of things that God's talking about. But one thing I real about I realize about children in the age of innocence, their hearts don't stray from their parents. They're afraid to be left in a department store or to be five feet away from where their parents are. You ever notice a parent a move and that child will draw closer to them because Lord. All this is foreign. You know, mom, dad, don't let me go. Even when a child don't even know, you just move from here to going behind them and they're doing something, that child will look up, get scared. Where are you? And, and then they turn around and then, oh, mom didn't leave me. You know, she's here. But that's how we got to be with our father. When your heart's not right with God, examine yourself. You know, we should be terrified to have anything come between us and the Lord because we love to mention God is faithful. God is grateful. God is good. If his mercy endures forever, it does. But are you walking with him? Do you desire him? That's why he tells us to examine self because you don't want to get used to not hearing from God. You don't want to get used to being separate from him because that will become a part of your heart and be a part of your very mindset and nature. Anybody got anything to add they can? If not, let's go to Matthew 18. But I'm trying to bring this today into terms where we can truly understand what the Lord means about childlike faith. 
You got to believe God. Oh, man, Lord Jesus, thank you. Just thinking about his goodness. Uh, Matthew 18, let's look at verse one. He says, at the same time came the disciples unto Jesus saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called the little child unto him and set him in the midst of them and said, verily I say unto you, except ye be, except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. So this is Jesus telling us outright, straightforward, that unless we become as children, he's using a child to give us some understanding of our relationship with the Lord. Hopefully, you know, the Lord will also do that tonight. They ask who's gonna be greatest. So they thought that God was gonna say, Peter, you know, because of your boldness and great faith, you know, you are. Or they thought he was gonna say David or Moses or Abraham. He says, unless we are as little children and converted. So conversion means to go from the state of whoever we think we are into going to the state of being a child, an absolute child before God. Does this mean we're all gonna shrink and jump back in the womb? No, but this is talking about being born again. That's why God mentions the term born again, because when we're born again, we forget about those things that are behind and we go forward knowing God. That's all we know. That's all that's most important to us. It's important that I now pursue a relationship with him equivalent to that of a child to a parent. That's how we've got to be. But you see, when we all first got saved, that's what we were like. There was a great boldness when we heard about the words of Jesus. We didn't care where we were or where people, you know, we just said what God wanted us to say. We felt like we learned some new stuff, some new wisdom and some new knowledge. And what did we do? We couldn't wait to go out and tell everybody about how good God was. And even when people would have looks on their faces like, I can't believe you're bringing that up in the meeting. You like what? I don't understand why you're all looking upset, you know, because as far as I know, God is good. But that's how God wants us to be. Back to the stage of children that we can obey him and believe him. Can somebody get tissue, please? Thank you. Yeah. So, you know, so look at uh, verse four. Jesus says, whosoever therefore shall humble himself as little child, as this little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So he took a child, he wasn't kidding. The same way that this child is dependent upon its parents and grownups, the same way you ought to be before me. Thank you. You know, so that's the whole thing concerning the Lord that we need to be like him. Look at verse five. And whoso shall receive one such little child in my name receiveth me. So, you know, let me continue. Verse six, but whoso shall offend one of these little ones, which believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and that he were drowned in the depths of the sea. So God is not kidding because he knows that kids are innocent. He knows that kids are dependent. So he's relying on um, parents to be able to teach their children in the ways of God. Now you've got this abortion law going on. 
that a child can be nine months or I mean, a woman could be nine months pregnant and still go and sacrifice her child. You've got the education system turning kids away from Jesus left and right, you know, telling them about evolution and all this other garbage. Jesus Christ is not kidding. He said, whoever of you will offend one of these little ones that believe in me, it were better that a millstone were hanged about their necks and they were drowned in the depths of the sea. Why? Because children depend on us and we need to give them Christ. But you see, unless we are his children, we can't be parents to our children. God always deals with authority in that life. Why did I end up in the education system? The Lord answered my question, because I wanna show you who you are and how you ought to be before me. And it's all making sense. I notice even with people I work with, the very things that they hate about certain children, they carry within themselves. And God wants you to get that right with you so that child could have more respect for you, so you can have more respect for God. And that's why I notice when God uses ministers, isn't it funny how some of the best men of, of the 20th century that God's used to preach his gospel, they've all been military men, the majority, because they understand command authority. They understand discipline. They understand order. They understand that in order to you know, have respect, I've got to give it. And that's what God is looking for, a well-oiled machine that understands you know, command authority, that understands what God wants. That's why he tells the children that if you obey your parents, you honor them, that that's the first commandment with promise because God wants us in our places of obedience. We can't understand obedience if we're not obedient. You can't tell a child to respect you if you don't respect yourself or if you got no respect for the Lord. So this is one of those things where God wants us to be in that place of conversion and understanding ourselves as children. But when we get puffed up with pride, what did he say? If any man think he standeth, let him take heed, lest he fall. Because we need to be in our place with God, seeking him and desiring him. Look at verse seven, woe unto the world because of offenses, for it must needs be that offenses come, but woe to that man by whom the offense cometh. Wherefore, if thy hand or thy foot offend thee, cut them off and cast them from thee, it is better for thee to enter into life halt or maimed rather than having two hands or two feet and be cast into everlasting uh, fire. So this is also a huge part of submission before the Lord. Yes, it can mean if you're doing things that are sinful, God wants to remove them, but this is being submitted to God. This is saying, Lord, I'd rather have you than have my two feet. Wherever you command for me to go, I will go. Whatever you want me to watch, I will watch. Whatever you don't want me touching, I will not touch. But this is all a part of that childlike faith that God wants us to have. You know, when a child thinks nobody's looking, you say, don't you touch that thing. You know, God wants us to be that way because of the simple fact that, you know, children depend on us to live and we've got to be that way with him. Verse nine says, and if thy eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. It is better for thee to enter into, into life with one eye rather than having two eyes and be cast into fire. So notice how serious the Lord is about this concerning even your limbs themselves, that it would be better to have that and, and go into life obedient, eternal life. And you see how in some ways, 
we can be so far from this that we worry about things that are external. He's talking about the things of your very body that can get in the way of serving him. The external things is, well, if I preach the gospel, this girl may not like me. God is saying, even if both feet were cut off and you believed in me, you can, well, you can go into the kingdom of God and do what I'm saying. But this is how obedient God wants us to be in everything. All right, so anyway, he says in verse 10, take heed that ye despise not one of these little ones. For I say unto you that in heaven, their angels do always behold their face of my father, which is in heaven. So you see, even with the little ones, where we think that we're just living our lives and, you know, just, you know, treating kids a certain way, he makes clear that the angels watch over the kids and they do behold the face of the father. How you treat this kid, you will be held accountable for because they're going to report you to the most high. That's how we've got to be and be able to see this thing. Because you see, when you got disrespectful children, in most cases, that's a result of disrespectful parents, okay? And I'm not trying to be funny. I mean, you got some black sheep that, you know, come out of nowhere and you wonder where they're from. But the bottom line is, it's all about respect and honor, which is gone from our society today. Yeah, Christina. Um, do you think that scripture is mainly speaking to um, little children as in, like, actual age children or to like spiritual like new babes in Christ or both? I think he's talking about both but I think he's also talking about children too because he brought one before him and used that child as an example you know for us to be so yeah I think it's both because even with a newborn babe in Christ there's still some things that they need to know and they need to understand but I've learned a lot from watching these children. I'm telling you, when I see them do things that I'm like, man, I can't believe that you did that. It's like the Lord brings my mind right back to remember when you were 12 and you did whatever. Remember when you were 14 and you did that thing? Yeah, you were kind of worse than he was, weren't you? And did you see what was driving you crazy and going on with you at that time? Okay, get it right with God and do what God says, you know? I mean, it's a wonderful experience working with the kids. Don't get me wrong. They drive me crazy. But the bottom line is that, you know, I see why I'm here. Because God has taken me through the second phase of my life by showing me the first. You don't want to be that way? Don't be that way to me. You know, look at verse 11. For the Son of Man is come to save that which was lost. How think ye, if a man having hundred sheep, and one of them be gone astray, doth he not leave the ninety and nine and goeth into the mountains and seeketh that sheep which is gone astray? And if so be that he find it, verily I say unto you, he rejoiceth more of that sheep than of the ninety and nine which went not astray. So we've got to understand concerning God, that's the very thing that he wants us to have is to be able to follow him and be able to love our brethren the same way. Where we can, and, and I've even seen people too, draw closer to God and really focus on their relationship with the Lord. That's great, except for one thing. They don't show that same type of love or dedication towards anyone else. I've seen it. I've seen people that felt like they were too good once they learned of God and forgot about love towards your brother. But you see, that's an unbalanced relationship too.
Because when you're really seeking God and desiring to draw close to him, God's going to give you his spirit and his reflection of him will be on you so that you can love your neighbor right. But a lot of people that go to God for the wrong intentions and they don't come as little children, what they become is self-righteous. I'm better than this person. You see, I've got a relationship with God and all these people are heathen. That's not the way God wants us to be either. When we desire him, we've got to come in a pure heart and desire to be like him, not desire to be better than everyone else. We've got to desire to be like Christ. Going back to what we're talking about concerning little children, it's funny too, because little children desire to be like who as they're growing? Like their, like their father, you know, or even that, you know, their parents, they grow up with them and they see them and I want to be like mom. I want to be like dad. And you know what? Subconsciously, whether you not desire to be your parents or not, why is it when you're unsaved that you become like them before you find Christ? Whether they're good or bad, you subconsciously act just like they do because there's a part of your heart that's desiring to be like them. You may not like them, but you liked how they handled other things and you've adopted that role. So this is why we must be as children going through the second phase of our lives, knowing nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Unless we see Jesus for who he is, unless we see our father and believe that we are children of the highest, we will never go any further concerning God. This is a relationship, a desire to be like Christ. Jesus Christ, is our, what you would call role model. He's our hero. A true born again believing Christian will desire to be like Christ. When we try to compare ourselves like, I wanna be like that pastor who's speaking. I wanna be like this person or that person. You're selling yourself short because Jesus says it is sufficient that you be as your master and as your Lord. Okay, so we sell ourselves short when we take people as role models aside from Christ, okay? And, and a real teacher or pastor or minister, when you give them praise, they're going to show you that the praise belongs to God. You know why? Because they themselves are children of God. You see how no matter what level people are on your children, you know, no matter what, if, if someone, if we all love the Lord in here, somebody could say, you know, um, Christina, man, that was a great thing that you taught. And Christina will say, praise the Lord. If someone went to Sam or Deborah and said, hey, you know, Deborah, that was a beautiful song you sang. Sam, I love the way you broke down that strip, that scripture. Sam and Deborah will say, praise the Lord. If I say, Martin, man, it's amazing how you just got this order. And, you know, the way that God pointed this out to you, you were able to speak. Martin will say, praise the Lord. Because the bottom line is, no matter what positions we think we hold here, we are all children of the Most High God. And you see, my relationship with my father will be the same relationship you have with your father if we're believers. God gets the glory no matter where we are, no matter where we think we are, and no matter what we think we're doing. God must get the glory because when we glory in man, your heart will stray away from him. The Bible says, cursed is the man that trusteth in man, that maketh flesh his arm, and his heart departs from the Lord. It's that simple. If you put anything between you and Christ, that thing will become an idol to you. So we've got the desire to draw closer to the Lord. All right, so let's move on. So, you know, again, tonight's teaching is, 
You must be as a child. Let's go to John chapter three. But you know, the funny thing about my niece, like I said, it's amazing how God can use the young to confound the old. It's amazing how God can use children, you know, to inspire what he wants you to talk about. Because I was just sitting there thinking, what is it that my niece has that I don't have? You know what it is? She's got no stake in this life. You know, that's the one that spoke to the teacher, but she's got no stake in this life. Her thing is her mom's taking care of everything. All she knows is mom and Jesus, mom, dad, and Jesus. She found some truth that she was proud of and told everybody about it. As Christians, that's all we have to be. That's it. You know, we look for some great, you know, expansion or expository of a text in the way that you got to deliver it. All you've got to be is a child believing in Christ in faith. And you see, when you speak from your heart about someone you know is real, you watch the effects that it can have on people. That unshakable faith. You can't tell a child that you can, that you're stronger than his dad. That child will argue you, even if you show you got more muscles. See, I'm taller than your dad. See, I was actually this and your dad is not. That child would be, no, my dad will blah, blah, blah. He's better than you. He's bigger than you. He's stronger than you because all that child knows is dead. And that's what we ought to know. Our dad is no joke. Y'all didn't know that? Y'all didn't know our dad, man, made the worlds? Our dad's got respect and clout. The fire-breathing dragon fears dead. Did y'all know that? Praise the Lord. Having a good time tonight. Thank you, Jesus. So this is John 3. Let's look at verse 1. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. So what is Nicodemus? A ruler of the Jews. He's one of their top Pharisees, big-time teachers that know the law inside out. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. Can, for, uh, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So again, if we were to look at this born again, I mean, what does that mean to each and every one of us in this room? How do you perceive this passage? And I want this study to be intimate tonight. I don't want to just talk. I want us to really think deep down how we truly feel about what born again means to you, what it truly means to be born again in Christ. Being renewed. So that means that if we're renewed, as Martin says, that means that the old must pass away, correct? If we're going to be new, we're not going to have one new shoe and one old shoe. So Martin brought up a good point. When we buy shoes, we buy new shoes, okay? You know, when children are born, that means nothing in the world's ever touched them when they come out of the womb, that they are brand new. You don't see a new child born with old teeth. You don't see a new <laughs> child born with, you know, whatever. You see everything is brand spanking new. I'm not saying that that's how we're gonna be at the moment of getting saved. I'm talking about the process of being made right in Christ, is allowing God to work out every little thing in our lives. And where does it first begin? In the mind. It begins in the way that you think. When you change your mind, you change your life. That What does the Bible say in, in Proverbs? 
What a man thinketh in his heart is what? So is he. So it begins in the change of our thoughts. It begins in the consciousness of knowing that Jesus Christ is real and that God has given us his spirit that we can obey him. You see what I'm saying? It comes in faith in God. You can't be born again unless you believe in Christ. Okay, so when you believe in Christ, he's now been revealed to you and that you're aware of that the way that you've been living is contrary to the way that Christ wants us to live. That's the beginning of it all. So here's where, you know, I have fallen short in my experience and things have gone wrong with me, is that when I when I found the Lord and I began to give my life to him, I had some things that God automatically made new and other things I did not want to change. I thought God would be okay with them. Now, did God throw me away? No, he systematically took things out of my life that he knew I wasn't ready to part with but he's still working on me and all things are still being made new. But that new can become old if it doesn't stay in the new life. That's why he tells us to walk in the spirit that we not fulfill the lust of the flesh because the walk in the spirit is the new way, the new experience that God gives you to walk in. This is the new life that we're learning about. Babies don't come out of the womb just running a you know, a 40-yard dash in 4.3, they can't walk. So they go to the stage of rolling around to crawling until the place that they can walk. As we walk as believers, we're supposed to be getting stronger as we continue in the spirit. But I found a lot of gospel today that wants to incorporate the flesh with the spirit. And that's what causes us to fall short in many ways when we adopt these things. This is all about an experience in knowing Jesus, becoming more like him, getting more of his spirit that we can walk and live as Jesus lived. Now, look at this. Let's look at verse uh, four. Nicodemus saith unto him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the spirit, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So that tells us this is not just an experience in the flesh. This is not just a man knowing Christ. A man has to be born of water. He's got to repent. He's got to be baptized. He's got to forsake sin, okay, to walk with God. Turn away from his sin, turn away from it, and walk as God wants him to walk. And then he says, of the spirit. That's the baptism where God gives us his spirit that we can walk with him. That's so important that we do this. And tonight is a really important teaching because I can tell the devil is trying his hardest to throw my mind off. He's trying his hardest to contend with what's being said tonight. So you know what? Praise the Lord that we're gonna go on and we're gonna talk about this. You know, a lot of us are so ready to move forward and go ahead in life. But, you know, at times we need to get back to the basics because something can be wrong with our growth. You don't find trees that are 30 years old that are supposed to be fruit trees with no fruit on them. Something has gone wrong with our experience that we need to go back and find out what it is and let the Lord mold us and sculpt us and bind us up tight and water us properly because we didn't leave the garden, that we can grow and bear more fruit. 
This is a very important uh, verse. I don't care. This is the first verse I ever learned about was John 3. But you know what? The Lord is bringing us back here because he wants us to grow. He wants us to have this understanding as to who he is. He mentions things in organic terms that we may have some understanding that if we are not good trees, then the only other thing we can be is corrupt trees. We've got to be born again. We've got to have the ax laid to the root, like John the Baptist said, or the, the root of the tree, that it may grow and become righteous. There's nothing wrong with examining ourselves and seeing if we're in the faith, because unless we can get to A, B, and C, we cannot get to D. We've got to go back to the basics of seeking the face of God, spending time with him, desiring to be like him, that we can manifest Jesus Christ. That's what this whole experience is about. But somehow the devil has tried to take me and move me away from this and tell me, well, you know, you minister now. So we need to get into deeper things concerning the ministry. And the Lord is telling me, no, we need to go back to the beginning and find out that if we're not growing, then we're dying. And it's important that we understand unless we stay connected, then we will not bear those fruit in Jesus Christ. That's right. That's right. And, you know, we've got to get to the place of because some of us, you know, this has happened to me. I realized when I got saved, things were going wrong in my life all over. And I was wondering why. And it's because I tried to bring the old world with the new man. If I'm born again, then now God determines how I live my life and he determines now what I do. I listened to mom and dad that gave me good advice of how to live in this world. Now that I'm born again in Jesus Christ, it's time that I seek Jesus and the Father. Lord, what do you want me to do in my life? I have no preconceived notions of what I want or what I believe. What do you want? And that's why the children of Israel could not go into the promised land at that time, because when they were just freed from Egypt, God did that for them. They murmured and they complained and we don't have enough this, we don't have enough that. They were, they were children. But then there comes a place in that relationship where God wanted them to believe him to the place of defeating the giants to get in. And what you find in many cases, they couldn't go forward because they never believed from the beginning. So tonight, we're going back to the beginning that we must be as children to understand what childlike faith is, childlike um, you know, desire to be like God, that we can grow as righteous fruit. Now, are you going to grow because of what I'm saying? No, it's relationship with Jesus Christ and the Holy Ghost that's going to get us there. But sometimes as Christians, we think, man, I'm ready to walk. I'm ready to strive. I'm ready to go to Dracula's castle and do battle when really the Lord is telling you, you got a few broken leaves that we need to work on so that you can be that tree to manifest those fruit, that you can have those gifts and be a full manifestation of Christ. I love this, going back to the beginning. So anyway, he says in verse seven, marvel not that I said unto you, ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell when it, whence it cometh, and whether it goeth, so is everyone that is born of the Spirit. You guys see what that means? 
However you lived your life before was something else. I'm sure that Jesus told his mother from the day she saw him in the temple, I must be about my father's business. But I'm sure he still went home and ate. I'm sure he was still the son of a carpenter. But you see, when Jesus became 30 years of age, he severed all ties with the world, got baptized in the spirit, and moved the spirit, took him immediately into the wilderness. So much so that it got to the point that when they said, Jesus, your mother and your brethren are here, and he said, who is my mother and who are my brethren? Then he stretched forth his hand to the disciples and said, the same that doeth the will of my father is my mother, my sister, and brethren. What was he talking about? Do you realize that Jesus had transformed from just being Joseph's son to going out and truly being what he always was, the son of God? The wind blows where it listeth, and neither can anyone tell the sound thereof where it comes and where it goes. But so is everyone, everyone that is born of the spirit. You see what he's telling you? That this is about you and Christ now. This is about you and the Holy Ghost. This is not about you and everything else in the life that ruled over you. What is God's purpose for your life is the question that we should start asking. Because aside from what Jesus wants, his will will not be done if we don't seek him. It's all about the will of Christ. Jesus says, he that doeth the will of my father will abide forever. He that doeth not the will of his father won't abide forever. This is what this is all about. When he was directed to the Pharisees and the Pharisees said, I mean, you know, Peter said, well, Lord, you just offended the, the Pharisees with what you said. He said, all I know is this, every tree that my father have not planted will be rooted up and cast away. So we got to understand that when we're born again, we've got to give it to Christ and let him work through us and live in us. The born again experience has been shot down for so long. I'm not saying you won't need teachers, you won't need help, you won't need counsel, but you'll never forsake that relationship that you got with Christ. You know what I'm saying? You'll have teachers, but teachers are gonna direct you to, you need a relationship with the Lord. Yeah, I can give you some advice, but you know what you need to do? You need to get down on your knees and seek the face of God and ask him what he thinks with this. Because when we seek God ourselves, that allow God to, that allows him to draw closer with us. We are only meant to counsel, to help, to talk to people, but the, the primary focus in any Christian's life is a relationship with Christ. There are so many people I've had to leave in my life because they were trying to tell me one thing and I'm sitting here looking at the word of God saying, but the Lord said, and you know, a lot of them, well, you don't understand the word or, you know, that, that applies in some cases, but not in all. And the Lord said, you know what we need to do? We got to take a hike. We got to go. Why? Because this person is going to stunt your growth from the very fact that they want you to become their servant and not a servant of the most high God. And it's so weird that usually those people don't, they don't leave you. Mm -hmm. They kind of like want you to stick around. Mm -hmm. But they don't want to change you. They don't want a healthy, just, all right, well, you believe that? I believe this, that's right. Mm -hmm. They actually want to transform you. Mm -hmm. It's so weird. They do. You're going to be saved my way. So, that's how they want you to do it yeah. instead of letting the spirit work. Yeah, Christina. Or they want to coexist and not clash in those areas. Mm -hmm. Universal. Mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, yeah. I see a lot. Mm -hmm. 
fear God, then you won't be able to settle. That's right. I saw a sticker that had the coexist mm-hmm. sign, but it was actually said tolerance or tolerate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's kind of funny. You know, and that's pretty awesome to think about because um, what you guys are both bringing up, that you can't tell a child that his dad is a bad person or mom. You know, a kid with that faith, they're never going to see it. My mom is not this. My dad is not this. I've seen kids in the neighborhood that were, whose parents were clearly a certain thing. But, you know, when it was brought to their attention, that child defended their parent to the end. But see, it's easier for us because our God doesn't have fault. Our God is righteous and he continues to work with us. So we should be shouting from the rooftops on who is Christ. Man, this is all about being a being a babe, man. Babes are only going to repeat what they hear at home. That's it. You speak French, is your child going to speak Russian? You know, growing up in the home, your child is going to speak the same language that you speak. They are like sponges. They just absorb the atmosphere that they're around. Why? Because they don't know anything. That's how God wants you and I to be in the spirit that we can absorb as much Jesus as we can and believe him in everything that he says. All right, so anyway, he says in verse nine, Nicodemus answered and said unto him, how can these things be? Jesus answered and said unto him, art thou a master of Israel and knoweth not these things? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, we speak that we do know. So Jesus is laying it out right here. We speak that we do know, okay? Then he says, and testify that we have seen and ye receive not our witness. So he's talking clearly, not about some things that we think. We can only speak about that which we know. That's where the the truth is going to stand behind what we believe. Look at verse 12. If I have told you of earthly things and ye believe not, how shall ye believe if I tell you of heavenly things? And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the son of man which is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the son of man be lifted up. Jesus has got to be lifted up in our lives. People shouldn't see you. They should see Christ in you. The goal is to become like Christ, get full of Christ. Jesus Christ is the whole story. You and I are the vessels that God intends to get glory through. I'm not saying that God won't give you things and do things through you, but we must understand what it is to be born again, that we've got to forsake our lives to walk with Christ. God is our identity. Jesus Christ is everything. When people tell you, man, you are so good at what you do, praise Jesus. Jesus did it. He gave me the words. He gave me the plan. He told me what to do. Praise ye the Lord. You've got to diminish. What did John the Baptist say? I must decrease so that he can increase. John was given an assignment by the Lord to to introduce Christ. He was sent to baptize, but John the Baptist, who was full of the Holy Ghost from his womb, never overstepped his bounds. John the Baptist made clear, the one that you're looking for that I'm speaking of, I'm not even worthy to untie his shoes. Okay, he's still coming. I must decrease so that Christ can increase. That's what we've got to do. If we ever truly want to be what the Lord is calling us to be, we must decrease that Christ can increase. Thank you, Jesus. So anyway, he says in verse, um, so Jesus must be lifted up. 
He says, if I be lifted up from the earth, what will he do? Draw all men unto him. But you see, it's the dirty, nasty, stinking flesh. It's the old man who still wants to be somebody, still caught up in the pride of life, still caught up in the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh. That's the person that God's got to get rid of so that he can live in you. You know why? Jesus said, if he be lifted up, he'll draw all men. Why aren't men drawn towards us? Because we still want to be somebody. But we've got to forsake a life for a life to walk with Christ. And you live a life that is fruitful. God will give you someone to marry. God will take care of everything that you need. God will do things through you. But one thing you must do is die so that Jesus Christ can live. You know, when you look at the story of Jacob and Esau, and he says, there are two nations that are fighting in thy womb. That is symbolic for you and Christ. When you're born again, you're still there. You're not dead yet, but Christ is trying to be formed in you. So these two are fighting in the womb. But what did he say? The elder shall serve the younger. What does that mean? You've been on this earth for how long before we got saved? But when Christ comes on the scene, that's who you're going to be serving. The older shall serve the younger. The second phase of your life is going to be greater than the first. The latter house will be stronger than the former house. Did not the Bible say that? So you see, we've got to be ruled by the spirit, okay, and no longer by our flesh. Is this easy? Absolutely not. That's why the Lord doesn't command you and I to try. He commands us to do what? To die, mortify your members. You know, that who you yield your members to, you become the servants of. So if he know, you know your members are a problem, that you've got to die out to Christ so that Jesus Christ can live. Thank you, Jesus. That whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. But God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. But God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Let's look at verse 17. He says that, for, that God sent his son into the world not to condemn it, but that the world might be saved. Does it say that? It says that the world through him might be saved. It's got to be about Jesus. That's how you get saved and you stay saved. Look at verse 18. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believeth, he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son. And this is the condemnation that light is come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. You know what's funny about the gospel? Isn't it funny how we all call ourselves Christians, but we can be yet offended by the gospel? You know what that is? That's a part of us that's not compatible with God. That's the part of us that God needs to clean out and make right, okay? Because if we believe that, you know, if we believe in Jesus, these things will be right. Or if we compare our lives to the life of the Bible and what Jesus Christ did, we shouldn't be offended. We should be like, you know what, Lord? Yeah, I see where I'm wrong. Help me get through this. That's what that's about. But if we're offended, we love darkness rather than light 
because our deeds are evil. If God is good, how can we be offended at his words? If anything, we should say, yeah, I'm convicted, no doubt. Then teach me, Lord, how to be like you. But when we are offended, then our deeds are evil. There's something about you that's not right that you want to rip out of this Bible that you don't have to serve and believe. Yeah, Christina. Um, that's a great point. And it also goes in with being born again. I remember when I um, got saved, I would feel kind of a lot hearing the gospel. Mm -hmm. And I remember you did a study of uh, Christ being a stumbling block and of offense. Oh, rock and of offense, yeah. Offense, yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, from that, like, I realized anytime I'm feeling that emotion, mm -hmm. that it's not of God, mm -hmm. and that trigger, or that, that's a red flag of, I need to seek God on what it is and what's trying to pull out for mm -hmm. me. So it was actually a really good um, understanding of you, knowing what that offense feels like, mm -hmm. and then allowing God to pull it out of you and just uh, accepting that judgment, like you read it as old. Exactly, because if your desire is to be like the Jesus of the Bible, then your desire is no matter what you hear that's wrong about you, Lord, make it right. Help me to grow stronger and to do this. But if your desire isn't to be like Christ, or I only want to go but so far before I rip the gospel out of my life, then you're not really trying to be born again. You're Esau trying to fight Jacob in the womb. You're fighting for supremacy when Jesus deserves the supremacy. You know, great points. Look at verse 20. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. So you see, when we want to be reproved, you know, we're going to come to the light. Lord, this is me. He says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I compare this to students that I work with. They could do some wrong in there. And you say, hey, who broke that class or did whatever? One will say, we were playing and I did it, you know, or whatever, but I didn't want to do this. You know, we were playing. I know you told us to sit down, but I did that. So whatever. You know, you'll be a lot more lenient on that child and say, well, you see, this is why I'm telling you not to do these things. But a child that you got caught on camera doing dirt sitting there lying before you, pretending that everything is fine, and you're saying to them, what happened with this? Oh, it wasn't me, it was him. Yeah, but we saw you. Yeah, but no, nah, it wasn't me, it was him. And they're getting mad. You get more frustrated with that child because you want them to fess up so you can deal with the situation. But the very fact that they won't admit that I've got a problem keeps God from putting his hands on you and using you. He's only going to use a willing vessel, one who wants to serve, one who wants to be with him. You know, some children learn being around their parents how to cook and other children don't because they don't want to be around their parents. Some kids learn more things wanting to hang around mom. But to that child that's in the distance, he says, you know, you know, mom, you always were her favorite. She likes you more than she likes me or you're always dad's favorite. That's not what's going on. The one that's drawing closer to the parent allows the parent to show his love and give him more revelation and understanding. So it's going to look like God loves that child more. But what's really taking place? You refuse to get closer to God so God can only deal with you at the position that you're at. Now, yes, he'll come and redeem you. Yes, he'll go after the sheep. Yes, he'll help you get it together. But you see, you keep God from being intimate with you because you have no desire to be with him. 
God's not going to force these things upon you. He wants us to draw close to him like children do with their parents. And it seems like, man, this child is loved more. That's not what's happening. Parents, most parents love their children equally, but they have a deep affection for one who wants to be with him. That's a natural thing. God doesn't love that, that child any less, but this child wants to be with me just because. Peter was the bold one in the gospel. Whenever something happened, Peter wanted to step out. Lord, then let me go out and do this with you. Peter's sermon was the first sermon when the church was formed to win 3,000 souls, but yet John was the beloved. John was known to lay on the chest of Jesus and just talk to God. John just wanted to be around God, not for any particular purpose, was because he just loved God. You see this with children and you see this with pets. You ever know, like you're just minding your own business, your dog will walk over and put his knee on your lap because the dog wants to be close to you. You don't have any treats for him. His desire is to be near you. I don't wanna bring it to the place of animals. I'm just bringing the point though, that children that want to be with their parents, you know, there's a closer bond there because you're allowing me to be nice to you. You're allowing me to show you all the promises that I promised you in the kingdom. That's the way that we're gonna draw close to Christ. So let's, uh, verse 21 says, but he that doeth truth cometh to the light that his deed should be made manifest that they are wrought in God. So you see, it's all about drawing closer to the Lord. Let's go to John 5. Anyone has anything to add, please do. Oh, man. Thank you, Lord. My throat's dry tonight. Doesn't say the kingdom of heaven is uh, taken by violence and violence taken by force. I'm a violent take it by force. That's right. I think that, that you know, getting closer to God and kind of seeing that song that I always want to hear. Kind mm -hmm. of, he favors all his kids, but there's more favor for those that, you know, seek after him. Yeah, want to be there. Yeah. I, you know, I believe you, Lord. So why are you getting mad? Why can you get mad at somebody that believes and wants to go through it? Sam became a pilot. How can I be mad at Sam for being a pilot? Oh, you know how to fly, but I don't. Well, Sam decided to go and take lessons because he really wanted to learn. If you really want to draw close to Christ, how can you be, how can I get mad at what he's doing? That's what he wants to do. Exactly. But people have a tendency to do this. He think he knows so much or she knows. Hey, man, you can know God too. It's whether or not you want to draw close to him. You know, but that's, we got to get out of that. God has every treasure for every one of his children, but you've got to seek it. He tells you about it, but you've got to draw close. I'm going to get mad at somebody for wanting to do what they what they believe in doing. Yeah, I got siblings like that, man. Like, man, you have the same opportunity. Why are you even like, talking yeah. right now? You know what? Because they don't want to do it. You know what I mean? Right. They want the gift to fall out from heaven. The second I get behind the, the you know, the wheel of a um, of a jet, it's supposed to take off, and I'm supposed to know how to do this. That's not the way it goes. Everybody wants to make it into heaven, and no one wants to be a child before God to make it into heaven. We got to seriously work on our pride if that's what we're dealing with. All right. So let's look at John five. Let's look at verse one. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue, Bethesda, 
And then it says, I'm having five porches. And these uh, lay a great multitude of impotent folk, of blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. Now, why are all these men there? Because they want to be healed. If you don't believe that the pool is going to heal you, you're not going to be there. Okay, so they're all there with their sickness, and they know, let's continue, verse 4, for an angel went down at a certain season in the pool and troubled the season. Um, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, and troubled the water. I was going back into the next line. Troubled the water. Whosoever then, first after the troubling of the water, stepped in, was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. And a certain man was there, which had an infirmity, 30 and 8 years. When Jesus saw him lie, he knew that he was that he had been a long time in that case. And he saith unto him, will thou be made whole? So imagine being a man in this position, 38 years, this man tried to come out. And this happens once a year. Okay, so this man was out there for 38 years trying to beat people into the water. So do you think he was determined? Do you think he believed? It took 38 years, but this man is out there trying to beat people into the place and he's just too slow, okay? He's dealing with his disease, all right? So anyway, it says, Jesus asked him, will you be made whole? The impotent man answered him, sir, I have no man uh, when the water is troubled to put me into the pool, but while I am coming, another steppeth down before me. Now notice this man says he has no man to put him into the pool. Do you think that you and I can get baptized by somebody throwing us in the water against our will? No, we've got to be willing to be an offering before God. Now, I'm not saying that that's the case here. I'm bringing forward a point to make. But anyway, he says um, that another steppeth down while I'm coming, another steppeth down before me. Jesus saith unto him, rise, take up thy bed and walk. What was this man's desire? He wanted to be made whole, okay? Verse nine, and immediately the man was made whole and took up his bed and walked. And on the same day was the Sabbath. So notice this man went through two different phases of his life. The first phase, he's laying in the bed asking for help or laying on his, you know, whatever he's sleeping on and he's defeated and he's looking for help to get into the water. The second phase of his life after being with Christ and being made whole, he takes up his bed and he walks. So you guys understand here that the first phase was totally about, you know, trying to do it in his own strength. The second phase of his life was God giving him the strength that he had he had victory over what had him bedridden. So anyway, he says, um, verse 10, the Jews therefore said unto him, that was cured. It is the Sabbath day. It is not lawful for thee to carry thy bed. He answered them. He answered them. He that made me whole, the same said unto me, take thy bed and walk. Then asked they him, what man is that which said unto me, take up thy bed and walk? And he that was healed wist not who it was, but Jesus had conveyed himself away, a multitude being in that place. Afterward, Jesus findeth him in the temple, and he said unto him, Behold, thou art made whole, 
sin no more, lest the worst thing come unto thee. So when Jesus exposed himself to this man, he told him, don't sin again, because if you go into sin this time, something worse can come upon you. What was Jesus trying to do? Keep him walking in that born again, second phase of his life experience. You have been blessed by the Lord to be made whole, but you've got to stay whole by living righteous and not living one that is unrighteous. Okay, so then he says in verse 15, the man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus which had made him whole. And therefore did the Jews persecute Jesus and sought to slay him because he had done these things on the Sabbath day. If anybody could find that scripture, I'm trying to remember what it was, but I don't know if it was blind Bartimaeus or someone else that was being persecuted, remember? And he says, hey, all I know is I was blind and now I can see. You see, that man, all he knew was where he was and where Jesus took him to. That is also symbolic for us being in the dark, finding Christ, and all we know is Christ. When they, when they asked this man, who told you or who healed you? Hey, I don't know who it was. All I know is this, he made me whole. But you see, this is what this man could repeat because this is what was done to him. He okay. gives the glory to Christ. Yeah, bro. He brings up um, his parents, the Pharisees, and that. I think that is it. Yeah. Was he blind since he was a child? Yes. Yeah. Yes. And all that man knew. And you notice he was blind from a child. You and I, blind from a child. We don't start seeing until we see Christ. We perceive this world to be so different until we get, you know, the light of the gospel is brought before us. And then we can begin to see. Man, this is hell come to earth. <laughs> the devil is behind all of this. I can't even believe that I was that kind of sinner. Praise the Lord that he saved my life. But you see, once God reveals himself to you, you can see. That's so symbolic, man. I didn't mm -hmm. that. Well, you know what? I didn't either before That's tonight. Crazy. Thank you, Jesus. You know? So anyway, he says, um, verse 17, but Jesus answered them, my father worketh hitherto, and I work. So Jesus, who is the son of God, king of kings and lord of lords, okay, who was with the father, just said, when they asked him, why did he heal on the Sabbath? He says, my father worketh hitherto, and I work. So Jesus was making clear, whatever my father commands me to do, I will do. That's all he knows. They were trying to hold the relationship between father and son to the Sabbath day. On the Sabbath, we do these things, and this is how it needs to be. Jesus says, my father work and I work. That's how we've got to be. When our father declares us to do a thing, we do it. I don't care if you're in church. If the Lord tells you to stand up and tell everybody in here what the Lord is telling them, you stand up and say it. You ever notice when people are caught by the spirit full of the prophecy? You ever notice, man, how when they speak, they just proclaim and they don't care who's sitting there. Why? Because that person is giving himself over to God and God has a vessel he could use. But let's just say there's homosexuals sitting in the crowd. Let's just say there's people there that you don't want to offend. Let's just say that there's something that you know that someone in there is against. Do you think the spirit can fall on you and make you say what you don't want to say in your heart? Absolutely not. That's why he says you need the new wine
to be with the new vessel that both can be preserved. Yes, Sarah. It's been John about the one word. They the Pharisees asked the Pharisees about the Yeah. John 9:25 is actually where it says he answered and said, "Whether he be a sinner or no." I know not. One thing I know that is where I was blind, and now I see. Mm -hmm. Because when people will say to me, you know, like I get sometimes in the workplace, man, how could you just say that? That's an abomination. Homosexuality, man. You know, we work with these people. Hey, I'm getting back to the place of being a child and saying, you know, this person may have feelings, but what I know is Jesus is greater than all. What I know is my father is paying attention to how I deal with this. I don't want any man's blood on my hands. All I know is Christ and what he's telling me to do. I'm getting back into the phase of my life of God is everything and I am nothing. Because in many cases in my walk, I've stepped outside of my bounds trying to be someone that I'm not. And you know, when we get in that phase, we'll be split up and we won't be the tree of life. We'll be the tree of knowledge of good and evil. We need to be what Jesus wants us to be on track with him not double-minded, not double-hearted, but someone who is single-eyed who wants to serve Christ. He's showing me these things about myself. And you know what? Thank him for it. I'm thankful that he's not trying to build this house with a busted floor and no ceiling and no windows and no foundation to stand on. Thank you, Jesus, that he's telling me that I've got termites. Why? So that the Holy Ghost can take those things out of my life and he can build me right to the place that I will not fall in that time. Why? Because those who, um, unless the Lord builds the house, we labor in vain. That's right. So let the Lord build and let he work on it because you know we can get so full of sermons and this and that and try to apply our lives to it, but have we sought the face of God? What does God have for you? What does he want you to do? What does he want you to be? That's what's the main concern. Because he said, many will come on that day saying, Lord, Lord, have we not done all these things, cast out devils, prophesied, and he said, away from me, ye that work iniquity, I never knew you. What is he talking about? He's talking about the fact that he didn't build it. He didn't lead you to do it. You were living a double life. You grew in the way that you wanted to, but you did not stay connected to the vine. And some people would say, well, then how can you cast out devils? The bottom line is the gifts of the spirit are without repentance. God gives us lots of things. Jimmy Swaggart was still winning thousands of souls to Christ while he was going to New Orleans and sleeping with prostitutes. Okay, so, but then there came a point, God pulled the sheets off and he could go no further. But the point is, is that when God gives you an anointing, he doesn't want to take it from you, but he's not going to have you shame him. So that's why we've got to be in our rightful place serving God. We don't want to go left. You know what uh, Brother Sam uh, read a few weeks ago about that uh, shepherd thing. If we have time, I want to read that, man, because that's a beautiful display of a shepherd dealing with the sheep. But the sheep have to be willing to follow the shepherd to where they need to go. It's the same way we are as children. I had a question for you. Yeah, bro. Uh-huh. Um, with the Holy Spirit, I got the idea asks us to say something that we're uncomfortable with. Mm -hmm. So even though we're uncomfortable, like when we're full of the Holy Spirit, where we can say those things, you know, like sometimes mm -hmm. something we might not 
normally say. Mm -hmm. The Holy Spirit can empower us to say those things, right? Is that mm -hmm. what you're saying? Absolutely. Like the will to want to do it and having funny feelings about it are two separate oh, things. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? Because every time you want to open your mouth for the gospel, you guarantee that the devil is there to tell you, open your mouth. You know what's going to happen. Yeah. He's trying to, to scare you. But see, if you've got the willingness in your heart to believe God and he tells you to speak and you speak, that's different. But yeah, I'm not saying you're going to feel great every time you got to <laughs> preach the gospel yes. because, you know, there are many times. Exactly. There are many times you're like, you know, Lord, can't you give me something else to talk about? But this is what the Lord wants to talk about. I know that what I'm saying at times is going to infringe on people's lives. But, you know, if I care what people think and not God, then I've become a respecter of persons. I care more what people think than what God thinks. And children, you know, we've got to be as children. God's got to be bigger than anything. Amen. He empowers you too. Yeah. That's right. So it says in verse 18, uh, therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him because he had not only broken the Sabbath, but said also that God was his father, making himself equal with God. For those people who don't even believe that Jesus is God, it's right here. You know, that he made him, they understood what calling yourself the son of God meant. And what we got to understand as children of God is, it says that we would be joint heirs with Christ. So if we're going to be joint heirs with Christ, we've got to be a partaker of the inheritance that we can be like him. Don't sell yourself short. No, you are not Jesus. No, you are not King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and you are not the savior of the world, but you are a son of God that God promises that you would be a joint heir with Christ. But what do we need to do? We need to die so that Jesus Christ can live. That's what this is about. Verse 19, then answered Jesus and said unto them, verily, verily, I say unto you, the son can do nothing of himself, but what he seeth the father do, but what things soever he doeth, these also doeth the son likewise. So when we talk about Jesus as our example, are we like this? Do we desire to be like this? That's more of the question. Do we desire to please God every day and all manner of thought and conversation and the way that we um, are before other people? You know, this is what it, go it boils down to. Jesus desired to be like his father. He didn't just say, yeah, dad, thanks for everything you gave me. Now I'm going to go out and establish myself. It was in the father's will for the son to be established. It was in the son's will that we might know the father. Their wills were equal. And that's why Jesus, not only he's not just the son of God because he came from God, but he's also the son of God because he could do nothing aside from what his father did. Hey, man, I know this could, this could be a rough teaching, but I'm cutting my own guts out with this. But this is what we need to understand in being born again, that we can serve Christ. If our heart's not like this and you desire to be, seek the Lord that it might be. Look at verse 20. For the father loveth the son and sheweth him all things that himself doeth, and he will shew him greater works than these than ye, that ye may marvel. Now, you guys know in John uh, 14, what does he say? The works that my father do, uh, greater will he do that believe in me. Jesus wasn't kidding. Jesus wants us to be sons and daughters of the highest, but we must be partakers of God's spirit and seek God for all. 
why we fall short has a, yeah, we can say it's the flesh, but it's much to do with how obedient we are to God. That's why we got to get into the word. Don't think that we know it. Go over scriptures again. I go over many of these scriptures all the time and the Lord's showing me things tonight that I have not seen. So God's word is rich. You've got to chew on it so that you can get everything out of it. Praise the Lord. Even if you got to make yourself an example that God gets the glory, praise the Lord. All right. So anyway, he says in verse 21, for as the father raised up the dead and quickeneth them, even so the son quickeneth whom he will. So you see, this is also a big part of us winning souls to Christ. Because if we truly become, I'm not saying we're not children of God, so don't let my speech throw you off. But if we become children of the highest and we become full of Christ, then we should probably have not the same result, but similar results to what he had. Because after all, we're believing and walking in the same spirit as him. You know, that's what this whole thing is about. So he says, for the father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the son, that all men should honor the son, even as they honor the father. He that honoreth not the son, honoreth not the father, which hath sent him. So when Christ is in you, you care about what he thinks as a child of God, because whom God honors, no man can take that away. I'm gonna show you guys something real quick. Let's look at First uh, Corinthians chapter seven. This is awesome. The Lord just showed it to me. You notice how he said, Jesus said he will quicken whom he will. And he says in verse 22, uh, that for the father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the son. You guys look at this. This is first Corinthians chapter seven. Now you know why, uh, what's his name? Illimaeus the sorcerer could be smitten with blindness. You see, now you know why Hymenaeus and Philetus can be turned over to Satan until they learn not to blaspheme. You see how Paul was given authority to address some things and do things? It was in the spirit. Now watch this. I think this is the right place. Anyway, 1 Corinthians 7, let's look at verse 1. He says, now concerning these things, whereof ye wrote unto me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife and let every woman have her own husband. Let the woman render unto the wife a due benevolence. I mean, let the husband, sorry, render unto the wife a due benevolence and likewise also the wife unto the husband. The wife has no power on her own body, but the husband and likewise also the husband hath no power of his own body, but the wife. Defraud ye not one um, uh, one the other, uh, except it be a consent uh, with consent for a time, that ye may give yourselves to fasting and prayer, and come together again, that Satan tempt you not, for um, for for your incontinency. So then it says, um, in verse six, but I speak this by permission, and not of commandment. For I would that all men were even as myself, but every man hath his proper gift of God, one, um, one after this manner and another after that. Did you hear what Paul says? I speak this by permission, but not of commandment. 
So God gave Paul authority to address this particular situation. This was not something that you could have looked at in the Bible and said, this is the way it was. Jesus said in the beginning, it wasn't so, that you know, men will have multiple wives or you could divorce. He said that you had to be one you know, unto death. But Paul is saying he's speaking now by permission of the spirit, but not of commandment, all right? So let me make this point. Uh, look at verse eight, I think that's where I am. He says, I say therefore to the unmarried and widows, it is good for them if they abide even as I, but if they cannot contain, let them marry for it is better to marry than to burn. So Paul is saying he prefers that, you know, we should be single to serve God. But he says, you know, but if you can't, it's better to be married than to burn. Well, is Paul telling you this? Look further down. All right. So it says um, in verse 10, and unto the un and unto the married, I command yet, yet not I, but the Lord, let not the wife depart from her husband. So Paul is saying what the Lord commands. And Paul mentions what he was given permission by the spirit to speak. The same way Jesus said, my father quickeneth whatever, and I'll quicken who he says. Or I think he said something in 5 and 22. Let me look real quick, because I don't want to get this wrong. But this is John 5, and look at verse 22. He makes clear, he says, for the father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the son. Now, I'm not saying that Paul has all judgment, but the, but the spirit gave Paul permission to address certain matters. God can even give you permission as a true son or daughter of God to deal with a situation, okay? Because there are some things that the Bible, you know, doesn't mention. Like, for example, you know, you've got to hear from heaven even concerning marriage and divorce. Now, some people would say, well, if the woman wants a divorce, let her remain unmarried. You know, everybody's heard that. But then the Bible also would tell you too, let's just say you got a man that intends to kill you. If the Holy Ghost tells you, don't go back to that situation, you've got to hear from heaven for God to deal with that particular situation. He says, let Jesus address that. Jesus said that we ought to be together until the time of death, that in the beginning, it wasn't so. He says, unless... You know, um, if you leave your husband or your wife and you be with another, you commit adultery, all right? Or if that person, you know, gets with that person afterwards, they commit adultery. But Paul here is addressing by the Spirit with permission of the Holy Ghost to address a matter that had not been addressed in the Bible. So you see, God can throw his authority someplace if you hear from heaven. It wouldn't contradict the word of God, and this doesn't. But Paul says that if the husband or the um, the one who's not a believer departs, it says that, you know, he would prefer y'all be together because you sanctify the man or the wife. But if they leave, he says you are not bound in such cases. That meant that whatever law held you to being together unto death, now that they're gone and they don't want you, he says we're not bound in such cases, that we are free to go on because that person left you. They didn't want to be with you, okay? So I'm just bringing this point up because as sons and daughters of God, Paul is exercising authority yielded by the Holy Ghost to address matters that had not met. So God can use you and I on the spot who are full of Christ to judge a matter. It says, he that is spiritual judgeth all things, 
yet he himself is judged of no man because we are seeking the word of God to get things done in God. Now, I know a lot of religious people ain't gonna like to hear that, but the bottom line is this is the truth. Let's go to John 8. If anyone even wants to ask questions and talk about it, we can. But Paul was saying that he preferred they be single because he later mentions in that chapter that when you share your life with someone, there's gonna be some ups and downs. There's gonna be things that are going on that you wanna serve Christ, but you're joined to an unbeliever. So things like that can happen. I see a lot of brothers today that seek God and wanna draw closer to the Lord and they can't because of their marriage. They'll come here and talk to you and the wife, oh, you pick up diapers, you do this, you do that. I need you to be home. You know, you need to be home with your family. But the Bible says the head of every man is Christ, okay? And I'm not saying that that can't be, but you guys get where I'm coming from. Yes, um, Christina. Um, I love how Paul says too, um, but every man has his proper gift of God, saying like either, you know, mm -hmm. to be single, that is a gift. And not mm -hmm. as many, you know, people can do that. Like Paul was an example of being single, mm -hmm. being able to serve God, single I walk in the staff of him. Uh, but also if you have a spouse, that's that's right. Just accept the gift he gives you. Absolutely. You should see singleness as a gift. Yeah, it also says somewhere where I think Jesus says that, and mm -hmm. they say, Isn't this hard? This is a hard saying. Who can hear it? Who this? can hear it? That's right. You know, when Jesus brought his doctrine, he brought it to a dead world, he brought it to a dark world, a blind world. He still would repeat everything his father said. Jesus said, my doctrine is not mine, but it's my father's. Yeah, Martin. Carries on judging, and it's the Old Testament judging, and like you're, you're governed, you pretty much you, you take charge, I guess, in a way, isn't it? Like mm -hmm. But judging in the New Testament, is it, is it the same, or is it, you know, mm -hmm. when somebody judges something, like, you know, are you, are you judging me? Mm -hmm. Is it really like, are you judging me? Like, you know, are you taking advantage of me or are you just like governing over me? It's right. like, which one is it? Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, you know. If you speak with authority, obviously, if you speak with God's authority, then obviously you're proclaiming the word, therefore right. you are in a way judging. Mm -hmm. That's right. In a good way. That's right. I want to make no quotations of Derek Hallett up here. You want to speak the words of Christ because Derek Hallett is a man. He can fail, he can do things wrong. That's why we always tell people, have your Bible out in front. You know, I remember the first time I went to speak at um, Sam and Deborah's church, you know, to the youth there. And I was saying something and I was like, guys, look it up. And Paul, uh, not Paul, well, I guess we can call you Paul. And Sam said, um, you know, um, hey, you ain't got to worry. No, I know, right? Paul says, um, you don't have to worry about that. He said, we're Bereans around here. So don't think we're not going to look up everything that you said. You're a nice guy and all, but we got to relate everything to the word of God. That's how we got to be. Now, I don't mind like when Christina sees something and, wait a minute, don't you think that the Bible says, you know, whatever, whatever. But you know what? That's good because if I can't back up what's being said here, then I'm teaching falsely. So we've got to know what God's word says and stand with the truth. Never be offended in questions, man, because that helps you grow. I mean, there's times I've been put on a spot where I didn't have the answer. And I'm like, Lord, you're going to have to come through right now because this has never been addressed. And the Lord will give you scriptures. Hey, here it is. 
I mean, you never believe how many times I've been up here that I've been surprised that the lesson fit together. It was not my call, trust me. I feel like I'm going off in left field and the Lord is just piecing everything together. Say this, do that, say this. And I prefer it that way because if we're gonna follow God, then we gotta uplift Christ. This is not uplifting me. I won't get results if I uplift me. I'm nobody. All right, John 8, right? And let's look at verse uh, 44. John 8 and 44. Why am I not there? There we are. John 8 and 44, and Jesus tells them, the Pharisees, ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. So let's turn this around in reverse, okay? And uh, let's look at this. Jesus told them, you are of your father, the devil. So imagine the Lord telling us that we are of our father, God, okay? And he says, and the lust of your father ye will do. So he makes clear that whoever your father is govern over, governs over your life, and you're gonna do what your father does. Okay, so the lust of our father, we will do if our father is Satan. But if we are children of God, we will do what God tells us to do. You see how that goes? Yeah, Christina. No, I'm not using lust here. I'm using lust in relation to Satan. But see, when we love God, we will do what God says. That's why I said in reverse, because I mean, I'm not talking about God. I'm talking about Satan here. But when we go to God, what our father tells us to do, we will do. Lust is not a good word. Okay. It's love. But the bottom line is, unless we love God, you know, God can't be our father. Okay. He is our father, but we don't know it until we love him and decide to serve him. But he's making clear with the Pharisees here the lust of their father, they will do. So what will you and I do if God is our father? All right, so then he says, he was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth. This tells you something about the father of, I mean, about those whose father is the devil, that he does not live in the truth and he was a murderer from the beginning. We know that our God is a creator. Our God loves, our God redeems, our God restores. Our God is even, you know, like he said, he abode, He is the truth, okay? Our God is truth, pure and simple. So, all right, let's continue. Because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own. So to speak truth is to speak Christ, all right? That's the point that I'm trying to make here, that whomever you call your father, you will be just like. That's why Jesus said, or God said in the beginning, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed, because he knew that there would be a war between the two. We are only going to be, I mean, we all started out seeds of Satan, okay? Then we become born again, and we become the seeds of God. So that's what we're trying to get clear here is, the lust of their father, they will do. They are going to be just like their father. When you hear the words, the apple don't fall too far from the tree, this is 100% true, 
Okay, what causes an apple tree to continuously grow? When the apple falls from the tree, what happens? That seed goes into the ground and produces another tree. This is how some of these things go. But you see, we're only going to be that which we are. We're only going to be like that which we're surrounded by. So you see, the very way that we live determines who is our father. That's the point I'm making. Look at verse 45. And because I tell you the truth, ye believe me not. You know why? Because their father is the devil. Which of you convinceth me of sin? And if I say the truth, why do you not believe me? He that is of God heareth God's words, and therefore hear them not. I mean, and ye therefore hear them not, because ye are not of God. So hearing God's words, does it mean reading the word of God? Do you think that those two were synonyms or they're the same? To hear God and to read God's words, do you think that's that's equivalent? You, no, because this is faith comes from hearing the word of God. Faith comes from hearing. And absolutely. You were going to say something too? Well, then you're Exactly. Hearing the word in the Greek is all about doing. When I hear you, that means I understand. That means that there is no misunderstanding. When I hear, I, I intend to do. Okay, so when you hear the word, it's not just listening to the word. You can listen to the word, you can skim through the word, you can read the word, but how much of it did you hear? That's why the Bible tells us with all we get, get understanding. Because when you understand, then you will do. If you understand that heaven and hell are real, and we understand that there's a devil and that there's a God, then you can understand, I'd rather be with one and not with the other. I will do what one says so that I can stay far away from the other. So you see, when you understand and you hear, you act to live your life in accordance with that thing. But if you don't believe hell is real, then you think you've got, you know, I can do what I want. God don't mind. But you see, that then God wouldn't be your father. Jesus does what his father did. We ought to do what our father does. You were going to say something? No, I just have an example. So for hearing, it's the same like a parent saying to a child, mm -hmm. go and bring something or go pick up a toy, mm -hmm. you know? And so if a child does it, so mom expects it right away. She said it and she heard it, she's going to do it. Exactly. She expected that. Exactly. And he doesn't act like he does not want to do it. He acts like he doesn't want to hear or acts like he heard it. And she will ask him, like, did you hear me? Mm -hmm. Why are you still not? You know, why are you not doing it? That's what happens. Absolutely. That's what happens a lot in relationships, too, when, you know, a lot of women will say that the man, he's listening to me, but he didn't hear me. The woman will tell you, hey, this is what's wrong with our relationship. This is what's going on. If she's a godly woman, then fine. If not, pay no attention to it. But the bottom line is, is that if it's like this, women will often tell men what bothers them. But men will say, yeah, I hear what you're saying. <laughs> but what he's doing is he's listening, but he's not hearing. When you hear, then you say, you know what? That is that is true. I need Sorry, to do it. Exactly. Right. But you see, you can only do when you hear. When you're listening, you can listen to music and not know what it's saying. You got a whole generation of kids like that living today that way. You know, but anyway, so anyway, he goes into um, I believe um Verse 47, he says, he that is of God heareth God's words. 
he therefore hear, you mean ye therefore hear them not, because you are not of God. Then answered the Jews and said unto him, Say we not well that thou art a Samaritan and has a devil? And Jesus answered, I have not a devil, but I honor my father, and ye do dishonor me. So Jesus is telling them, because they believe that God was their father. Jesus is saying, I honor my father, and I'm showing you how I honor him by obedience. But you guys are dishonoring me because you don't, my God is not your father. You see what I'm saying? My father is not your father. If you can dishonor me, my father is not your father. Okay? Look at verse um, uh, 50. And I seek not my own glory. There is one that seeketh and judgeth. So was Jesus here for himself? Jesus was not seeking his own glory. Jesus was seeking the will of his father. And then it says, if a man keep, oh, verse 51, uh, verily I say unto you, if a man keep my sayings, he did. Now, how can, I, how can we read this and then come to some other conclusion? I, I don't get it. Either we're children of God and we believe God, or somehow people will read verse 51 and says, well, you know, you can keep some of the things. Well, it ain't that hard. You don't need to obey everything God says. You can still do what you want to do. That's not what verse 51 says here. Do we believe the gospel or do we not? Verily, verily, I say unto you, if a man keep my saying, he shall never see death. Verse 52, then said the Jews unto him, now we know that thou hast a devil. And that's exactly what they call you when you're a Bible-believing Christian. He's the devil. He's too overbearing, heavy shepherding. There's no love in what he says. I mean, never mind whether there's love or not. Is it true? You know, don't, don't get me to exercise and massage your feelings. Is what I said the truth? That's what this is about. Verse 52, then said the Jews unto him, now we know that thou hast a devil. Abraham is dead and the prophets, and thou sayest, if a man keep my saying, he shall never taste of death. Art thou greater than our father Abraham, which is dead, and the prophets are dead? Who makest thou thyself? So as you can see, these guys claimed to be children of God. They said God is their father, did they not? But now that they're getting pressed with the gospel, they're saying that Abraham is their father. Now they're going back to Abraham because they're looking for some type of leniency. But if God was their father, they would care what the son was saying. Look at this in verse uh, 54. Jesus answered, if I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my father that honoreth me of whom you say that he is your God. So Jesus is saying, if God is really your father, why are you and I having conflict? Because if God is your father, you'll hear God's words and you and I should be on the, the same page. God told people that the Messiah was coming and he told people what the Messiah would do. Those prophecies have been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. But you see, they chose not to believe because they wanted to do their own thing. And Jesus made clear it's because they're not of God. Verse 55, yet, yet ye have not known him, but I know him. 
And if I should say, I know him not, I shall be a liar like unto you, but I know him and keep his saying. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. What did, what did John say? That if, and no man can say that he knows God and not live the way that God told him to. That's in 1 John 2. I don't want to misquote that, but the point is, is they're making the point in order to obey God is to know God. In order to love God is to know God. It's a desire to be with him. So he says in verse 56, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day and he saw it and was glad. And said the Jews unto him, thou art not yet 50 years old and hast thou seen Abraham. What's wrong here? Their misunderstanding of who Jesus is. You see how they kept trying to gain leverage on him instead of just listening to what he was saying? They want to take it to Abraham. You know what they believe? Abraham was greater than God. And Abraham was greater than the son of God. Look at verse uh, 58. Jesus said unto them, verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. So that ought to tell us that in Jesus Christ, all things consist. If we love God the Father, then we've got to love and obey Jesus Christ. Because if we obey Christ, then we're in good standing with the Father. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one can be a child of anything unless they, they are truly children of that Father. Okay, you're gonna be like the Father that you have. I'm just about done. I'm gonna go to one more scripture. Let's, let's finish, like 59. Sure. Like uh, then took they up stones to cast at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out through the and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. Jesus turned invisible and walked right through him. They were trying to cast stones at him, and he's walking right through the middle of them and passed by. Man, praise the Lord. Let's go to Romans 8. We're going to conclude from there. Romans chapter 8. Were you going to say something, Sam, or no? Oh, I thought somebody said something over here. I don't know. Maybe it's just me. Romans 8. Yeah, Romans 8. Let's look at verse 1. That's right. That's right. You see, Jesus didn't worry about anyone because Jesus said in John 14, my father is greater than I. See, he believed this. That's why it was so easy to do. But what was the reason? He knew the father. You see, he had to teach us how to know God or how to get to know him. But Jesus knew the father. So he had total faith in his father. That's why he's the intercessor for us. He knows his father. You know, Jesus is crying out, man, praying every day. Father, give him a break. Father, he's with me. Father, he's growing and he's learning. And we better get to know Jesus because, you know, you get Jehovah Witnesses and all these other groups. They love to talk about Father God. And then they look at Jesus like he's the 45th president. Oh, yeah, well, he's the son of God, but he don't really count. But Jehovah God is the one we need to pay attention to. Man, they're way off track. Unless you know Jesus, you've got no God. You might have one, but it won't be God the Father. There's no way to me except for you. No way to the Father. Jesus said he is the door. He is the good shepherd. The gatekeeper. Pretty much. You know. So did Jews actually believe this? Like We just read John. What do they think of that? Some believed because of the fact that... Um, 
You know, Nicodemus, the Bible later says that Nicodemus wanted to help out with the burial of Jesus. Joseph of Arimathea, who was a rich man, was a disciple of Jesus Christ that actually pulled Jesus from the cross, you know, I mean, or asked Pilate for his body and moved on. A lot of them believed, because remember, on Acts 1, in Acts 1, there was 120 of them up in the upper room. Now, you would have to imagine, who were the 120 when Jesus only had 12 disciples? There were many that believed on him that were up there in that room waiting for that spirit to fall. He says uh, that many, they're, 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 I'll find it, but he says that because it struck me when I read it, it says that many believed on him, but they were fearful, scared to, of the Pharisees. Yeah, they were scared to. to I believe that's John seven. That it might be John seven or John twelve, but I think that's the one that it is where it says. Because I was like, many they believed. knew because mm-hmm. the Jews know about Jesus. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. It wasn't just like our Jesus; like they knew right. Jesus, you know, mm-hmm. and they believed, but they were. That's how much the fear of man had control of them, that the Messiah was right in front of them. And they're like, absolutely. Why was it easier? This is a good point, too. Why was it easier? What is it, Deborah? It's in 1242. Nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it Mm -hmm. so that they would not be put off from the God. Mm -hmm. They loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. You see that? And this is what we're talking about. If God is your father, you seek his glory. But you see, if man is your God, then you seek not to get kicked out of the temple. I mean, it's amazing what we can cling to and desire, man, when this is really all about Christ. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah, just like that. But isn't it funny how those guys believed? The, um, the, The ones who didn't have any rank anything to try and uphold. Isn't it funny how they just, hey man, what I'm hearing, this sounds like the Messiah to me. You know, this is who I want to serve. I mean, who could do miracles before or since? So they believe. But you see the Pharisees who had some status, who believed that they were somebody in the presence of God, they refused to accept him. So appropriate when you have the wedding feast example, mm-hmm. where the people, the guests that were honored, that were asked, said, "Oh, you know, I just got married. I just bought this land." Yeah, was excuses. So they he sent servants out to the highways and the byways. To That's right. Up, you know, pretty much the homeless people, you mm-hmm. know, nobodies mm-hmm. to, to be welcome to the wedding feast because they're the only ones that we're here. You know, he says, "All right, let's go and get them." But some people, I just married a wife. I just did this. I got a piece of land. And you think that excuse is going to play yeah, out with God? Friends, it yeah. won't. Yeah. You know, and great point. That's the example of the Pharisees. Mm-hmm. That's his actual friends, you know, the people mm-hmm. that are the first children of Israel. Mm-hmm. And they had all these excuses. Oh, well, we, don't do, we don't do that. Yeah. Do yeah. They, were, they got more going on than God. There's no obedience. That's why he says you got to be his children. Because whatever we obey, that's who our God is. Romans 6 says that. Whomever we yield our members to, we are the servants thereof. Don't try and see it as any other way other than what the Bible says. Yes, sir. It's almost, it's, you know, but it's easier for us to believe when we have nothing. Praying to God for something. But then mm-hmm. when we get it, that's when we start to, like, back away or say, mm-hmm. kind of like how the children of Israel were. This they is, always called upon the Lord and made sacrifices when their enemies were after them or they had nothing. But as soon as they got what they pretty much desired or he delivered them, then they wanted to start doing things their own way. Thank you, Jesus, for this revelation. What was Adam known as? 
the son of God. Okay, and Adam, as soon as Eve came into his life, I'm not blaming the woman. The man had a love and a desire for his wife, hearkening unto her words and not God. You see, the Bible tells us this. So Adam became in many ways no longer a son. It says he was the son of God. It didn't say he remained the son of God. He was the son of God because he came for, I mean, God made him and Adam had no father except God. But when Adam fell away because he, he sought his wife, he was no longer compatible with God. Did God forgive him? Most likely. Did God redeem him? Probably so. There's no account of this, but the bottom line is, is that Adam was no longer the image that God made. And that's why from that point, they became the children of Seth. They were the sons of Seth. You know, Adam, Seth came out of the image of Adam, but Adam was not the son of God when he did not have the spirit. What did Adam lose back then? The Holy Ghost. That's what he lost. How do I know this is true? Because God says, I will put enmity between two seeds. So how can one seed come about and be if everybody was the son of God? Think about what I'm saying here. God knew that the gene pool was corrupted when Adam disobeyed. Where did the serpent seed come from? Some people come to the conclusion and say, Satan has sex with Eve. That's not what happened. When man stopped being what God was, and he knew that Christ would come to crush the head of the serpent. He knew that there would be some that would be of the seed of God that would be born again and become like Christ. And there would be those who wouldn't receive it. But how did that second seed just come out of nowhere? He was speaking in the time of Adam. He didn't speak in the time of Noah. He gave this prophecy at the very moment that Adam fell. There's another seed in the midst. And my seed is going to war with that seed. But that seed started when Adam fell away. That's something to think about. Anybody disagrees, I love to hear your comments, but I'm just saying, where did this other seed come from if all stemmed from God? God made Adam and Adam was supposed to be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth and subdue it. There was no mention of a serpent seed until Adam fell. Why? Because Satan corrupted the gene pool. And Jesus came 2,000 years ago to give it back to us that we may be the sons and daughters of the highest. Yes, Sarah. Well, I do. What it says, Romans 1, 23, they changed the glory of our God to the image I think it's in Luke 3, but if I'm not mistaken, it says Adam was the son of God. They didn't say he is. They say he was the son of God. If I'm wrong, I think it's Luke 3 and 23, somewhere around there when we're going through the bloodline all the way back to Adam. But yeah. All right. So this is Romans 8. Let's look at verse 1. He says, there is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. So there is no condemnation to those who were in Christ. A lot of people look at this and say, there's no condemnation, you know, but it makes clear those who were in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. So if you walk in the flesh, there's condemnation upon you, right? That's where you're headed towards, condemnation. If you walk in the flesh, 
and not walk in the spirit, that's what it says. Look at verse two. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus have made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Look at verse four. The righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in you and I if we walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. So that's why tonight we're talking about born again, walking in the spirit, learning the ways of God, growing stronger and going forward. Look at verse five. But they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. This is a great way of us indicating, are we in the flesh or in the spirit? What a man thinketh, so is he. But they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So you understand here that the carnal mind can never serve God. The nature of the old man, the nature of Adam, the child of the devil will never serve the child of God unless he is born again to become the child of God. Okay, verse um, seven. But to be carnally minded is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. So this is just so important that we seek the Lord and want to know what he wants with you and I, that we can truly be children of God. We don't want to fall outside of this. 10, I mean 9, but ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so, be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Okay, now if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Am I saying this, or is this what the Bible is saying? If you don't have the spirit of Christ, if you're not born again, you do not belong to God. Okay, verse 10. And if the body and if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin. But the spirit is life because of righteousness. So when Jesus has been fully formed in us, that our bodies will be dead because of sin, meaning that we're not going to walk in the ways of man. We're going to walk in the ways of God. Okay, verse 11. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. But if we live after the flesh, we shall die. But if we through the spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. So what is this talking about? growth in Christ. This is talking about forsaking a life for a life. I'm not saying this. Don't get mad at me. This is Paul. Okay, look at verse 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. So God's Spirit has got to lead you and I, okay, to do what he wants 
that we may stay children of his. Look at verse 15. But if have, for ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Isn't that funny? Daddy, Father. You can call God Daddy. He wants you to be that intimate with him that he says that you're not a part of that spirit of bondage again to fear, but you are of the adoption whereby you can call God daddy. You can become a child of God. Let me skim through this. The spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may also we may be also glorified together. For I reckon that the sufferings of this uh, present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. As children of God, I just wanna ask one question. Do we believe that? Is it okay that you and I suffer in this life for Christ, that we can have something that can't even be compared to what we'll go through here? Do we believe this? Look at verse 19, for the earnest expectation of the creature waited for the manifestations, manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope, because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. So we're not leaving anything behind. If we can just leave this stinking flesh where it needs to be and serve God, we don't owe any debt to the flesh. All you get in this life as a child of the devil is pure corruption. But God wants us to be born again, that we can live what they call the new and living way. Verse 22, for we know that the whole creature, a creation, sorry, groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of the body. For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? So you see, we are to pursue God. That's why the Bible tells us without faith, it's impossible to please God. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Stop looking at your circumstances and where you are and look unto Christ that he can lead you and I. Because some people say, Lord, I'll believe there's a kingdom if you show it to me. Then, you know, you'll be waiting the rest of your life. Because the thing is, is you've got to believe God and have him revealed to you. That's why Jesus told Thomas, Greater are them who have faith and believe without seeing. Because seeing doesn't mean that you believe. Seeing is just proving, you know, what is actually there. God wants us to have greater faith. So verse 25, but if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it, just like children. Likewise, the spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought but the spirit itself maketh intercession for us which groan, with groanings that cannot be uttered. Does this mean speaking in tongues? Yes, but this can also mean just you know waiting on God to know what to pray for. 
we shouldn't just be obedient and you know, other things that God is telling us to do, but let us wait in prayer and see what God gives us, okay? Because God can, praying in the spirit doesn't just mean praying in tongues. It means to wait upon the Lord to tell you what to pray for, okay? So you can pray in the spirit if you seek God. God, what should I be praying for right now? Because I know if I pray within my will, I'm just gonna pray about stuff I want. Come on, y'all, we all been there. We don't have to have a show of hands, but what do we usually do? God, this is happening to me. This is going on. I need this. I need that. How about waiting on the Lord and saying, what do you want me to intercede for? Like a child. Yeah. Um, I have the issues when I try to pray. I will have all these other thoughts or distractions that try to keep in. So sometimes when I pray in tongues, I feel like it helps focus and it gives me Mm -hmm. a God-willed uh, prayer to then pray normally to the Lord and have mm-hmm. a conversation under his will and it completely keeps the instructions out. Absolutely. You know, connecting with God is a huge part because the, uh, Paul even says in 1 Corinthians 14 that him that pray in an unknown tongue prayeth unto God and not to men. So that's a great thing when you pray in tongues. And I just want to tell people that haven't been, pray to be baptized in the spirit, you know. Get all you can from God. Don't just get bits and pieces. Pray and press in and believe God that he can fulfill everything because those who have not the spirit of God are not the sons of God. Verse 27, and he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the spirit because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God and them who are called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So when it talks about predestinate, guys, I'm about to close, but don't get this wrong. Some people believe that this is the one saved, always saved doctrine, that some people are born damned and some people are just born saved. That is not the truth. Whom God knew, he also did predestinate. God's got a purpose for every single one of us. God just knows who will be saved and who isn't. Those who want what God wants will seek God, okay? So who he, he, who he knows, who draws close to him, God's predestinated. He's made a place for them. But you can also cancel your reservations if you stay not with God. You can say, well, I don't want to serve God. I want to go and do what I want to do. Well, guess what? That which he had for you, you can only obtain by your will, okay? And believe in God, okay? So then he says, um, I'm in verse 30, I believe. Uh, Moreover, whom he did predestinate, then he also called. And whom he called, then he also justified. And whom he justified, then he also glorified. What shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for all, I mean, for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? So if God can give to Jesus, if God can give to Paul, if God can give to Peter, and we are the sons of God, God will give you and I. Don't sell yourself short of wanting to be full. I have a hard time, and I'm asking the Lord for more patience. I've got a hard time hearing people that don't want to draw close to God. This is as far as I want to go. 
I don't want to go any further. That's your calling. This is what you do. I got a hard time with that. Not because I think I'm better than anybody and I want anybody to live up to my standards, but if Christ is offering for you and I to be like him, why would we want to go any lower than what he tells us that we can be? There's something to think about. Verse 33, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. See, that's one of the problems in knowing Jesus, guys. I don't mean to stop, but this is pretty heavy right now because one of the problems in not knowing Jesus Christ is we take Christ for granted. You don't realize the intercession that he continues to do, that he will do until we get into the kingdom for you and I who don't even want him. You don't even understand the amount of intercession that Christ is sitting there praying for us, speaking to the Father for you, you know, giving the spirit that we will to do what he says. We don't understand the good shepherd. And when we don't understand the good shepherd, we'll become wandering sheep. But understand what Christ is trying to do for us. Get to know him. So where am I? Verse uh, verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword, as it is written, for thy sakes we are killed all the day long and are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all things, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded. Now, this is Paul. Paul is a son of God. Paul is persuaded. What does this mean? If we're not persuaded, then these words don't mean anything to you and I. You've got to believe in your father and your Lord and Savior. People will quote this, but not believe it. But I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So you see, it's all about being a child of God, desiring God. And I know I got a little lengthy tonight, but hopefully we got some understanding of being what it is to be a child before God. There is so much waiting for you, but the question is whether or not you believe it. That's what's gonna boil down to who's a son and who's not. Do you believe it? All right, so um, you got something or no? Sarah's gonna present something um, and then we'll close in prayer. Let's go to Psalm 71 and verse one. I'll just start reading. Psalm 71, verse 1. In thee, O Lord, do I put my trust. Let me never be put to confusion. Deliver me in thy righteousness and cause me to escape. Incline thine ear unto me and save me. Be thou my strong habitation, whereunto I may continually resort. Thou hast given commandment to save me. 
for thou art my rock and my fortress. Deliver me, O God, out of the hands of the wicked, out of the hands of the unrighteous and cruel man. For thou art my hope, O Lord God, thou art, thou art my trust from my youth. By thee have I been holden up from the womb. Thou art he that took me out of my mother's bowels. Uh, my praise shall be continually in thee. I am as a wonder I am as a wonder unto many, but thou art my strong refuge. So what it's saying here is, is that pretty much everything that we go through in life, we need to call upon the Lord and let him be um, our refuge, our strong tower, our everything. You know, we fall into the hands of the wicked when people come against us, when it's easy to get into temptatious conversations, we're supposed to be different. And Sometimes we want to communicate with people and talk to them about Jesus Christ. We also want to try and fit in at times with them saying, you know, well, if they do this, then it'll be easier for me to talk to them. But we have to understand, are we staying connected with the Lord in that? Are we seeking his wisdom on how to talk to people? Or are we trying to do it ourselves saying, oh, if I do this, they'll accept me. Because truth be told, we really don't want to be accepted by man. We want to be able to talk to people about Jesus Christ. Uh, have them come to know him, but still be in right standings with the Lord, because ultimately one day we're going to stand before him. So it has to be about what he wants. You can lose your standing with God. Exactly. Exactly. All right. Um, verse eight, let my mouth be filled with thy praise and with the, thy honor all the day. Cast me not off in the time of old age. Forsake me not when my strength faileth. For my enemies speak against me, and they that lay wait for my soul take counsel together, saying, God hath forsaken him, persecute and take him, for there is none to deliver him. And that's something that we're getting ready to find out. Because when Christians are persecuted, people say, well, where's this God of theirs? Why are they going through this persecution if they believe in Jesus Christ? Obviously, they don't have an understanding of what the scripture says because persecution is to befall those that believe in Jesus Christ. It says it in the scriptures. And there's a lot of people in other countries where it's against the law to be a Christian. They know this firsthand, but they, they signed up for it. They signed up saying, I'm going to be a Christian no matter what, because I believe the Bible to be real. I believe that Jesus Christ is the only one that saves. If he was persecuted, if the disciples were persecuted, if other people were persecuted, I know this is what befalls me. But I believe in Jesus Christ that much. One day, one day the doubters of the gospel, they're going to be put to shame. They're, they're going to be the ones that are put to silence because Jesus Christ is coming back. And also not only that, but when we die, it's either heaven or hell. <laughs> Verse 12. Oh, God, be not far from me. Oh, my God, make haste for my help. Let them be confounded and consumed that are adversaries to my soul. Let them be covered with reproach and dishonor that seek my hurt. But I will hope continually and will praise thee more and more. My mouth will shew forth thy righteousness and thy salvation all the day, for I know not the numbers thereof. So we don't know how many days we have left on this earth. And the goal is, is that every day that we have, every day that the Lord gives us to preach the gospel to somebody, that they may be saved. Verse 16, I will go in the strength of the Lord God. I will make mention of thy righteousness, even thine only. O God, thou hast taught me from my youth, and hitherto have I declared thy wondrous works. Now also when I am old and gray-headed, O God, forsake me not until I have shewed thy strength unto this generation and thy power to everyone that is come. So what he's saying is that no matter how old he is, 
let us preach the gospel. Because there's a time when it's like when we're in our youth, we're young, we're going great with the Lord. And then all of a sudden, some other doctrine comes along when we're older and it distracts us. It takes us away. So it doesn't matter how old we are. There's a possibility that we can fall away from the gospel if we don't stay underneath Jesus Christ. Okay. Um, verse 19. Thank you. That righteousness only, O God, is very high. Who has not done great things, O God? Who is like unto thee? Thou which has shewed me great and sore troubles. Thou hast quickened me again. Thou shalt bring me up again from the depths of the earth. Thou shalt increase my greatness, increase my greatness, and comfort me even on every side. I will also praise thee with the psaltery, even thy truth, O my God. Unto thee will I sing with the harp, O thou holy one of Israel. My lips shall greatly rejoice when I sing unto thee, and my soul which thou hast redeemed. My tongue shall also talk of thy righteousness all the day long, for they are confounded, for they are brought unto shame. That seek my hurt. So he's saying that he's going to praise the Lord no matter what, sing songs and hymns and spiritual songs, no matter what's going on in his life, no matter the good times or the bad times. We may think they're bad times, but they're not. But it just says here that he's going to praise the Lord, preach his gospel, no matter what. So that's what's yeah. All right. So I guess we can close out in prayer, but I just want to tell people if you know you're not saved, and nobody knows this more than you, you can give your life to Jesus Christ today. You know, don't wait till tomorrow because tomorrow's not promised to us. But if you've been convicted in the spirit and you've heard Jesus Christ and you want to be a son of God, you repent of your sins, turn from your wickedness, confess your sins to the Lord, believe in his death, burial, and resurrection and that he died for your sins, that you can be washed clean in his shed blood. You can have Jesus Christ as your Lord and savior, get baptized, ask him for his spirit and walk on with your father and your Lord and savior in glory because we've got nothing to look back to, nothing at all. So uh, I guess we can pray out right now and conclude. Any volunteers? Not I'll pray. I guess I'll pray. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for this time of sharing. We thank you for the word of God that is able to save our souls. And we just ask, Lord, that everything that was said tonight pierces the heart and pierces the mind. And we pray, Lord, that these messages glorify you, for we want no glory of ourselves. But we want you, Lord, high and holy and lifted up as you are, that all may know you and come to you, that all may want to be sons of God, that all may desire you to draw close to you. And I pray, Lord, for a special anointing for everyone present. I pray for double portions to pour out of heaven upon them in the spirit that they may be with you, Lord, that they may be strong in you, that they may grow as righteous trees, that we may all grow to be what you call us to be. And we pray, Lord, that if there's any principalities, powers, any demons, any wolves at the door that comes against your people, Lord, I pray that you raise a standard against them. And I pray that we have a fervent, hot desire that we follow you, Lord, and desire you because the time is drawing nigh. You've got the government, Lord, trying to talk about another lockdown and all these things. But, Lord, it doesn't matter because we have you. 
and you are a faithful God. And if we be children of you, Lord, you said, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man, the things that God has prepared for them that love him. So we just pray, Lord, that every promise you ever gave that we seek after, we pray that you tell us one day, well done, thou good and faithful servant. We pray that we expand as a ministry, that we get into those hospitals, that we go into the prisons, that we go and tell everyone about our Father, because Lord, we save not to know anything but Jesus Christ and him crucified. So Lord, let us die out to self. Let us decrease so that you can increase so that we can get our work done in your name. Let us clean out all idols from these temples, Lord, that we may be vessels fit for the master's use. We pray for preservation. We pray for redemption. We pray for cleansing. We pray, Lord, for the mind of Christ that we may go where you tell us and do what you say. We pray and we ask that all these things be done for your glory, Lord, and your honor alone. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So that's going to wrap it up for this week. I'm Minister Derek Howard of Sound the Trumpet Ministries, soundthetrumpetministries.com. And until next time, have a good night. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.